To say that the murder of Linda Marie Brown was the result of a fatal love triangle would be an extreme oversimplification. To those who wanted her dead, Linda was most valuable when she was six feet under the ground. And in order to reap those benefits outside the walls of a prison cell, they had to get somebody else to do the dirty work for them. It wouldn't be a hitman or a man in a dark alley behind a shady bar. It would be a 14-year-old girl, Cinnamon Brown. In the early hours of March 19, 1985, police found Cinnamon Brown in her backyard, lying unconscious inside a doghouse. She was covered in vomit, clutching a suicide note that would explain the apparent overdose. It read, Dear God, Please forgive me. I didn't mean to hurt her. Yards away inside the home was the body of Cinnamon's stepmother, 23-year-old Linda Brown. She'd been shot twice in the chest as she slept. After initially denying the killing, Cinnamon eventually confessed to authorities. The only motive that they could establish was that Cinnamon had grown tired of being ordered by her stepmother to sleep in a trailer outside. The motive was petty, and the murder itself was a shock to everyone who knew Cinnamon and Linda's relationship. They got along well, according to everyone, but one person, David Arnold Brown. David Brown just lost his wife, Linda, at the hands of his own daughter. All of that and worse, because his new daughter just lost her mother. Linda had given birth to a daughter just seven months prior. From the news, you would think he had just lost his entire world. But to David, this was the beginning of a new chapter in life he'd written himself. The 32-year-old had owned and operated Data Recovery Incorporated for five years. It was his pride and joy, and wildly successful. His advanced recovery methods even landed him in a New York Times article, four months after the murder of his wife and he was more than happy to give an interview. A Las Vegas hotel's computer disks were deemed unreadable from the smoke of a massive fire that killed 85 people. The hotel needed the names of the guests trapped in the hotel, so David Brown's company was called in. David charged the MGM hotel $1,200 to recover their data. Unbeknownst to him at the time, he'd saved them $15 million. In the New York Times interview, David made it a point that he couldn't reveal the methods of his data recovery because it was a secret, but he could reveal that he's recovered data for aerospace companies, banks, movie studios, and government agencies. David Brown was nearing his peak on a ladder of success, but before we get into his downfall, let's look back at the beginning, where it all started. On July 3, 1970, Cinnamon Brown was born to two 16-year-old lovers, David Brown and his new wife, Brenda. David was reportedly a great father, but a horrible husband. He was a control freak that demanded sex from Brenda on command several times a day. The year after his daughter's birth, David took his first computer course. From here, he bounced to different jobs that were all concerned with data processing. In 1973, David began an affair with a co-worker at his new job. Brenda took Cinnamon, moved out of their shared apartment, 
and the couple divorced. As soon as the divorce was finalized in 1975, David Brown married his co-worker. This marriage didn't last long, of course, because he liked his wives young, submissive, and vulnerable. As David's wives grew just a little older, his eyes started to wander. Just two doors down, Ethel Bailey was raising 11 children on her own. Amongst these children was his future wife, Linda Bailey, and her little sister, Patty. David approached Ethel and asked if her children could help clean his home, the ones he'd seen walking to the bus stop. He told her he was dying of colon cancer and had just six months to live. Ethel would later say, How do you say no to a dying man? I had no reason to doubt him, then. Soon later, David was dating one of the children that was ten years his junior. But he wanted someone younger, so he moved down the family tree to her younger sister, 13-year-old Linda Brown. He divorced his wife of four years and got hitched in Las Vegas during the summer of 1979. By this point, Linda was just 17, and David was 10 years her senior. Ethel had to sign off on the marriage. He ended up kicking Linda out just a couple months into their marriage to marry a fourth woman, a co-worker. This woman, however, didn't take David's shit and didn't like being controlled. They ultimately divorced, and David went back to the young woman he knew he could control. David and Linda remarried, but this time she brought her 11-year-old sister, Patty Bailey. In 1980, David Brown began to thrive. He had just launched Data Recovery that year, and was already seeing success. Plus, his young wife had just moved in with her even younger sister. David was more than happy to let Patty live in his home because she was a child and children are much easier to control. Like I said before, David's marriages never lasted long, because as his wives started to look more like women, he lost interest, and his eyes started to wander to his next prey. That's exactly what Patty was for David. Prey. She was a young, pretty girl, and David bought her anything she wanted. He was grooming her to be his wife. When Patty was 11, she and David, quote, began to have a romantic interest in each other. But it wasn't actually romance. It was manipulation and molestation. At this age, he began touching Patty and promising her that he was going to marry her. This sexual abuse happened any time Linda was out of the house or simply in another room out of sight. As Linda Brown was approaching what David saw as an expiration date, there was a new problem. He now had a successful business and was making a lot of money. If he divorced Linda, she'd take a huge chunk, and he couldn't have that. So he devised a plan to not only get rid of her, but greatly benefit himself. Patty was already on his side. He'd been grooming her for years since she was a child, and subsequently drove a wedge between her and her older sister. Patty was extremely jealous of Linda, and she'd do anything to take her position as David's wife, even if it meant burying her own sister. According to Patty, 
Months before the murder, David started telling her that Linda was plotting to kill him, and that his life and their relationship was in danger. He told her that he didn't have the guts to kill Linda himself, so she would have to. Patty said at first she didn't want to kill her sister, so she suggested that they paralyze her by running her over with a car. But David rejected her idea and stated that they had to kill Linda. Patty complied. She would do anything for him. And Patty really almost did it, a month before Linda's death. David came to her room around 2 a.m. and handed her a gun. He told her to use a pillow to muffle the shot. Patty said, quote, I stood at Linda's back with a pillow and held the gun in my hand. I couldn't do it. Linda wanted Patty out of the house. While pregnant, she confided in a friend that she suspected her husband was cheating on her with her little sister, Patty. She told the friend that David was devoting most of his time to 16-year-old Patty, and not her, his pregnant wife. She demanded that David take her back to Riverside and leave her there. But David won, like he always did, and Patty was allowed to stay. When Linda finally got the courage to confront David about the affair, he managed to weasel his way out unscathed. He claimed that Patty was the one who had a crush on him, and that when she made a pass at him, he was the one to shut it down. Quote, he said he just told her to back off, that nothing happened, that she was a kid. David began plotting his wife's murder when she was still breastfeeding their newborn daughter, possibly before she had even given birth. Over the course of three years, he bought four life insurance policies on Linda Brown, totaling $1 million. Two of them were bought in the two months prior to her murder. The next step was conspiring with 17-year-old Patty. Neither one of them wanted to actually kill Linda themselves, so they decided that the best person for the job was 14-year-old Cinnamon. But David had to trick her as well, because Cinnamon wouldn't just kill Linda by request of her father. He had to make it seem necessary. David told Cinnamon the same story he told Patty. Linda Brown and her twin brother had mafia ties, and they wanted to take David out so they could get all his money and take over his business. Cinnamon was convinced that this story was true, and she was terrified. She didn't want to lose her father. David told her that because his life was being threatened, she had to take Linda out herself. He didn't have the stomach to do it and he wouldn't survive in prison. And he told her not to worry, because she was a minor, and she'd only spend a little time in a youth facility. She'd go see a psychiatrist, and then she'd be back home in a couple weeks. David told Cinnamon that this was the only way, and if you really love me, you'll do this. This was something he repeated to her frequently. It was his life, or Linda's. Four weeks before the murder, a conference was held at the high school Patty and Cinnamon both attended. Linda brought her baby, Cinnamon, and Patty to meet with the school principal about their concerns. Apparently, Cinnamon and Patty both claimed they had radios stolen from their lockers, there was weapons in the school, people were dealing drugs, and the teachers didn't know how to teach. Of course, 
none of this was actually true. Patty and Cinnamon were making these outrageous claims to set up for what would come just two weeks before the murder. David Brown stomped down to the high school and became extremely hostile, according to school officials. He pointed at both girls and shouted that Patty was moving to Nebraska and Cinnamon was transferring to another high school. This was a shock to everyone at the school, because up until the conference where they made those insane claims, both girls didn't mind attending the high school. However, one teacher did notice a change in Cinnamon's behavior after returning from Christmas break. She'd been an above-average student up until that point, but her grades and behavior started to worsen. The teacher stated, quote, She was even worse in February. I had no idea why she changed so drastically. I wondered what might have happened at home during Christmas break to make her so different in class. Christmas break is probably when Cinnamon found out that Linda supposedly wanted to murder her father. And in between then and February, this was probably the time that David told her that she would have to carry out the killing. Linda's behavior also changed during Christmas time. The friend she had confided in about David's affair noticed that Linda had become distant and disillusioned. Their phone calls grew shorter and colder. She believed that this was due to David listening in on their phone calls. In an interview, she would say, quote, They had speakerphones all over the house, so every conversation was heard by anybody nearby. This makes sense. David had to make sure that Linda appeared to be a happy wife with a happy life. He couldn't let her complain to a friend that he was cheating on her with her little sister and that their relationship was strained. This would give police a motive. We're going to jump forward in time to six months after Linda Brown's murder. By the order of a judge, Cinnamon was sentenced to 27 years in juvenile custody. She thought the judge was going to let her go home after a couple weeks. That's what her father told her. She also stopped answering questions about the murder and blocked out the events completely. Before her conviction, she told a psychiatrist, quote, If they said I killed Linda, I want to be in a mental hospital. If I'm convicted, I'd go crazy. If I didn't do it, I want to go home with my father and sister. After Cinnamon's conviction, she became more and more isolated in the detention center. Her father started visiting her less and less because he was busy rolling in the cash from Linda's life insurance, which he received over $840,000 for. On top of this, his annual income was roughly $175,000. David bought a new home in Anaheim for $350,000 cash before Cinnamon was even sentenced for the murder. There, Patty assumed the role that Linda once held. She took care of baby Crystal, wore Linda's clothing and jewelry, and even took weekly trips to the bank. Meanwhile, David continued with business as usual, and making sexual advances to any young woman that crossed his path, which included an 18-year-old bank teller and a close friend of his dead wife. They both rejected him. As promised, David married Patty Bailey in the summer of 1986, a year after her sister's murder. 
he forced her to keep the union a secret. In 1987, Patty gave birth to a daughter, but the story they told was that she had become pregnant by another man. Cinnamon waited and waited for her father to keep his promise and get her paroled out of jail. As three years went by, she was able to reflect on the situation that landed her in custody, and she started to develop an entirely new perspective. From the parole board, Cinnamon learned about the enormous payout her father received after Linda's death. She also already had her suspicions about Patty being in love with her father, but a random pregnancy was confirmation that the feelings were mutual between them. Cinnamon contacted the district attorney. She was ready to tell the truth. Detective Newell had smelled a rat in this case from the beginning, but Cinnamon had confessed to the murder and was caught overdosing, clutching a suicide note. There was no way he couldn't charge her. He knew that she had played some role, and no one else was talking. Now he had the chance to bring justice to everyone responsible for Linda's murder. On August 13, 1988, David Brown came to visit his daughter, who was freshly 18. Under Cinnamon's clothing, a wire was placed to record the entire conversation. Detective Newell told her, Keep your voice up, discuss the night of the murder, and keep telling your father that you have to know the truth. We'll be listening. Here's a clip from that tape. You can tell the truth if you don't tell the whole truth, okay? Because then we all go to jail. After some brief small talk, Cinnamon got to the point. Quote, why did you tell me that I would only be here for a little bit, and then they'd let me go home? I feel like you lied to me. David denied this and started to regurgitate the same fabricated story about Linda and her brother. Anyways... They were instructed to off me so that Linda would inherit the business entirely, and her and Alan could run it by themselves under whoever this mob group thing is. They want data recovery. They want me dead. Cinnamon was still trying to get David to admit some truth. Quote, what was the real reason? What should I tell the board? David responded, why don't you tell them the truth was, remember? Linda wanted you out of the house, and I didn't. Cinnamon knew this was a lie. She said, quote, Linda didn't want me out of the house. There wasn't enough room in the house. Linda never told me she wanted me out of the house. Cinnamon reminded David that she was the one who made the decision to move out because she didn't want to share a room with Patty. This angle wasn't working for David anymore, so he dropped it. He told Cinnamon, quote, Well, Patty said if worse comes to worse, She'll confess to it, but you guys are going to have to get your story straight. She'll take your place. Cinnamon was tired of his charade. It was ruining her life. She cried, Why can't you just tell the truth? David replied, I'll tell you why. You can tell them the truth if you don't tell the whole truth, okay? Because if there was knowledge, if me, Grandma, Grandpa, Patty, everyone had knowledge in advance of what was going to happen, then we'd all go to jail. Everyone. David was still lying. No one but Patty, Cinnamon, and him had prior knowledge about the murder. 
he was trying to guilt Cinnamon into staying complacent by saying her grandparents would go to jail too. And again, he offered up his young wife to take the blame. Quote, she can take the blame for it, and you just stick to your thing that you never knew anything about it. Because she doesn't have anybody. All she's got is Heather. Heather was the newborn that David had just fathered with Patty. He was willing to throw anyone under the bus to avoid jail, and his true colors were finally being revealed to his daughter. Cinnamon told him, I feel stupid, because I was so young, and I loved you so much, and I was gullible enough to do it. It was clear that Cinnamon couldn't get the information out of her father that she needed this time. She'd have to get Patty to visit too. So she did. On August 27th, Cinnamon was wired up as David and his wife Patty approached her at a table outside. Cinnamon was able to get Patty and David to somewhat corroborate her story, but not fully admit the extent of their involvement. Patty also assured Cinnamon that she would confess and take her place in jail. Investigators decided that this would be enough to bring charges, and they didn't want to wait any longer because David and Patty weren't going to admit anything further to Cinnamon. The detectives also had motives established, lust and greed. Linda was young and healthy, and David had greatly over-insured her. He then went on to marry and impregnate her younger sister. Investigators also knew that when they separated David and Patty, they'd have trouble sticking to the same story, and possibly they would even turn on one another. Three weeks after Cinnamon met with them, they were arrested for the murder of Linda Brown. During David's interview, he denied having anything to do with Linda's murder, but claimed he was scared of Patty because he believed that she did it. Patty denied having anything to do with killing her sister, and both denied having a romantic relationship together. But David's story began to change when investigators revealed the two audio tapes of his visits with Cinnamon. Now, he told them that he did tell Cinnamon to take the blame, and that Cinnamon and Patty were the ones convinced Linda was trying to kill him. On the night of the murder, he didn't think they would actually go through with it, but that if they did go through with it, he told her he didn't want to be in the house. He also admitted to mixing a drug cocktail to make Cinnamon look as if she had committed suicide, and reviewing various drafts of her suicide note. David maintained the idea that he had nothing to do with the killing, claiming that if he did stage a murder, he'd be a lot smarter about it. He stated, quote, If I was going to stage something... I would stage something a hell of a lot more sophisticated than this. My imagination is very vivid. After a three-week preliminary hearing, the judge ordered David Brown to face trial for the murder of Linda Brown. Roughly two weeks after this, new charges against him surfaced that showed how desperate and evil he truly was. David hired an inmate to, upon his release, carry out three hits for over $30,000. The targets of these hits were the district attorney, the lead investigator, and his wife, Patty Brown, who is now a key witness against him. Luckily, a third inmate had overheard this conversation and let investigators know. 
They then confronted the hitman, and he agreed to assist them in the investigation. In a taped conversation, David Brown told the hitman he'd pay him $10,000 for each target that he killed, and described all three of them. This was just one piece of his plan, though. He also wanted the hitman to burn down his house and trailer and make it appear like he was a target as well. And then after all of this, help him escape from jail. Patty Brown was now working with authorities to take down her husband and already facing significantly less time because she was a minor at the time of the killing. In May of 1989, Patty pleaded guilty to murder in juvenile court after striking a deal with the district attorney. In exchange for pleading guilty, it was possible she'd spend less than four years in a juvenile detention center. After her release, her record would be wiped clean of all convictions. If Patty wasn't given this deal, if she was charged as an adult, and if convicted, she would have faced 25 years to life in prison. The district attorney asserted that no deals were made with Patty, but her attorney told the press that Patty would, quote, benefit from her cooperation. During Patty's testimony, she told the court that David had recruited her and Cinnamon for his murder plot. As for her role, she helped Cinnamon load the gun and encouraged her to go forward with the plan of killing Linda Brown. In a jailhouse interview, Patty said, quote, I'm just sorry it ever happened. I just wish I could make it all go away. You never realize how much you miss someone until she's gone. And I'd give anything in the world to have her back now. I have to live with this for the rest of my life. I don't think I'm getting off easy. Whether it's actually true that Patty believed her sister was going to kill David Brown, we'll probably never know. A year later, in June of 1990, a verdict would finally come for David Brown. He showed no emotion as it was read. Guilty of first-degree murder for financial gain and conspiracy to commit murder. For all of these convictions, David Brown was sentenced to 25 years to life, plus an additional six years in prison. Even after these convictions, he still had a very, very slim chance of getting parole. But that chance would fortunately never come for him. On March 20th, 2014, David Brown died of natural causes at the age of 61 exactly 29 years and a day after convincing his daughter to murder Linda Brown. Cinnamon was freed long before this, in 1992, at the age of 21. Patty only spent a few years in juvenile detention, and I believe she was released around the age of 25. She was able to regain custody of her daughter, and as far as I know, she's married with more children now. I want to wrap up this case with two things. The first is a Facebook post made by Crystal in the summer of 2018. Crystal is Linda and David Brown's daughter. She's grown up now and has children of her own. On Facebook, she has a page dedicated to her mother's memory. In part, this post reads, I think it's time I told you all something. I finally met Patty face to face a little while back. I'll tell you the truth. I couldn't cry. It's not from a lack of emotion at all. 
It's from the fact that I came to terms with everything long ago and forgave her long before I ever even talked to her. I'll tell you guys, she did cry a lot, and I knew she had to let it all out. All I could do was hug her and tell her it's okay. I forgive her completely and blame her for absolutely nothing. She was a victim just as much as me in my eyes. I plan on spending time with her more and getting to know her better. We have a lot to catch up on after all. I need to tell you all that the woman some of you hate is non-existent. What you've read and heard and seen on TV is not the same person I met. Keep in mind this tragedy happened over 30 years ago. I know she has changed a lot since then, and I can only imagine the pain and heartache and torment she went through. People change a lot in 30 years, and me and her are ready for a new beginning. The second thing I'm going to share to wrap up this case is a clipping from an interview between Oprah and Cinnamon Brown. Anne Rule is also on the tape because she wrote a book about the case called If You Really Love Me. Today, for the very first time since Linda Brown was murdered, the woman who pulled that trigger will tell her side of the story to us in our exclusive interview. Well, Cinnamon Brown is still incarcerated by the California Youth Authority. She has been in jail now since she was 14 years old. And you're now, what, 20, Cinnamon? Yes. Yeah. And she joins us uh, to tell her side of the story. Also joining us to help unravel this tale of greed and manipulation is true crime writer Anne Rule, who's written the best-selling book, Small Sacrifices, and her latest book is really Cinnamon's story, the story of this whole bizarre ordeal. It's called If You Really loved me. It tells the Cinnamon Brown story. We're glad to have you join us. Cinnamon, as I understand, one of the reasons Anne called uh, this new book, If You Really Loved Me, because that is what your dad would always say when he was trying to convince you to do whatever. Is that true? That is true, Oprah. Mm -hmm. So can you take us back to the night? Uh, I mean, I know it's not a pleasant uh, memory for you, but can you take us back to the night of the murder? What is it you specifically want to know? I want to know what, what happened. First of all, let's go back to how he started to talk you into committing this crime. He used um, persuasion. He'd talk about things over again. Mm -hmm. Like, if you love me, you'll do this for me. If you care about me, a daughter would do this. Mm -hmm. He, he manipulated. I think one of the things that Cinnamon uh, isn't telling you is that he had convinced her that if she did not go along with this plan that he would die. He would either die or he'd have to leave the family because mm -hmm. he said that Linda was trying to kill him. Mm -hmm. Did you believe that, Cinnamon? Yes. You believe that Linda was trying to kill him? Yes. And so the thought of your father leaving was what, scary, frightening? I was afraid of being abandoned. Mm -hmm. And wasn't there a time when you asked him why not just divorce her? Yes, I did. And what did he say? He said no, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. She would still find a way to kill him. Mm -hmm. So I can imagine, really, I say I can imagine, I don't know if I really can, though, if any of us really can, um, having such great love for your father, uh, being convinced that you're going to lose your father over a period of time, and then 
being put in the position of having to pull the trigger. Were you scared? Yes. <laughs> mm -hmm. Very scared. So what happened? Your father had left and said, I, this is the night, this is the night you're going to do it, and left you with a gun or Patty with a gun? or He had left me and Patty there at the house. Uh -huh. And he made sure that we knew that he expected it to be done by the time he came home. And how did he do that, make sure that you knew? Did he he did sort of made us feel guilty. Uh-huh. Um, Didn't he she's, say... She's gonna... You don't have to do it. You don't have to do it. But if you really love me, you'll do it for me. Yes. As he left. And so, there you are in the house. You have the gun. You've, had, you, had you ever pulled the trigger before? We had went shooting before mm -hmm. up in the mountains. Mm -hmm. But I've never used a handgun like that. Mm -hmm. And so... Did you ever think, you know, that you couldn't go through with it or that you wouldn't be able to go through with it or about the consequences? I'm asking well, my that. my dad had... Yeah, go ahead. My dad had warned me that they're considering my age and because of the circumstances of why I was doing it, then it would be okay mm -hmm. and accepted. They would send me to a psychiatrist and then I would be home with the family. And you believe that? Yes. Yeah. Cinnamon, uh, tell Oprah where you got the gun and who loaded the gun. Um, were you the one that, that located that gun that night? No, my dad told me that I was to shoot her, but I didn't have the gun at the time. Mm -hmm. Patty had it in her room. And what did she say to you? She was loading the gun mm -hmm. at the time, mm -hmm. and she said that we need to take care of it. We need to do it. Mm -hmm. So Patty had known about this for a long time. Is that true, Cinnamon? I'm not sure. Okay. When we come back, David Brown still proclaims his innocence and says that he was set up. Do you feel badly about what you did? To Linda? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. When uh, we were going out of the break, I don't know if you heard um, the tape of your father saying he doesn't believe that he had, has done anything wrong and that he is an innocent man. Did you, could you hear that? Yes, I did. And when you hear that, what do you feel or think? Sorry for him. Hmm. I think this is remarkable when you realize that before he left the house on that night of March 19th, he had cinnamon, he forced her to take 80 Darvacet and tablets. I don't know how many diazide tablets. It's a medical miracle that she's even here because he gave her enough to kill her many times over. Mm -hmm. And then he told her after the shooting, she was to go out to the doghouse and stay there. And if Cinnamon hadn't thrown up, Cinnamon would have been dead. Mm -hmm. And as it was, he knew she was there all night long while he was pointing his finger at her to the police and saying where she might be. He never once said, check the backyard. Mm -hmm. And Detective Fred McLean found her at 7 o'clock the next morning. And thank God she had thrown up, but it was touch and go for three days. Let me, I wanted to read something from Anne's book here, Cinnamon. She says, her father had told her to take what might have been a lethal dose of pills and shoot herself. 
Had he talked talk to you about shooting yourself? Yes. Mm -hmm. Shooting yourself. And he had described, can you describe for us how your father had, had asked you to shoot yourself? He said that I would just nick myself in the head. With a bullet? Yes. Mm -hmm. And you, you luckily elected not to, it's hard to nick yourself with a bullet. Well, I was frightened because I wasn't sure exactly how it worked. So I said, no, I'd rather do it another way. Mm -hmm. So that's why you took the pills. Now, yeah. continuing here in Anne's book, she says, talking of you, she still believed he had wanted it to look like she had tried to commit suicide because you practiced writing the suicide note, did you not? Yes, I did. Okay. Clearly, her death, was, her death was an integral part of his plan. And yet, while Cinnamon could now shoulder the blame for what she had done, she seemed unable to face the possibility that her father had intended for her to die. It would be a long time before she could face that. And I wanted to ask you, when were you able to face that? I believe it was when I was going through trial with my dad. Mm-hmm. And they told me what his intentions were. Mm-hmm. And that really hurt, and I felt betrayed. So that was the first time you realized that the, the amount of pills that your father had given you were enough pills to kill you three times over? Yes. So up until that time, were you, you still will, will, did you still feel a sense of love for your father? At which time are you referring to? At the time on the witness stand when you realized that he had intended to kill you. I still love him regardless. Mm -hmm. He's still going to be my father. Mm -hmm. No matter what he did, he's always going to be my father and I love him. But I don't agree on the things that he's done mm -hmm. or that he continues to do. Do you um, still communicate with him at all? Have any communications? No. Mm -hmm. What made you decide, Cinnamon, to tell the truth? about well, your father? Was it because you'd been in jail so long? Was it because you finally realized that perhaps your father was lying to you? How long, you had been in jail, what, two years or three years? And he was I still promising was that, you, that you were going to get out? Three and a half. Three and a half. It was, yeah. well, so, he said he was working on it, mm -hmm. working on getting me out. Mm -hmm. But he wasn't, and mm -hmm. I'd find out from other family members that he wasn't really sick like he'd tell me he was when I'd call. Mm -hmm. He'd be out shopping or something. Mm -hmm. um, I realized that Patty had a baby and that it was his, and they didn't tell me. Mm -hmm. They didn't tell me they were married. Mm -hmm. After finding this out, I felt like I was being lied to. Mm -hmm. Maybe all this that my dad was telling me wasn't true. All right, welcome to the end of the episode where I talk about fairly recent lighthearted true crime news to lift our spirits a little bit after the case we just heard. But before that, if you want to support my podcast for absolutely free, make sure to hit those five stars on Spotify or iTunes. It really helps get my podcast out there. I really wanted to do two cases for this episode, but this case was just so complex I spent all my time on it. Okay, this article comes from Oxygen, and it's an update on Joe Exotic, aka the Tiger King. If you haven't seen Tiger King on Netflix and you don't want any spoilers, go ahead and turn this off. If you don't care, just keep listening. Joe was originally sentenced to 22 years in prison in 2020 
after trying to hire two different men to kill Carol Baskin. One of these men was an undercover FBI officer, and Joe offered $10,000 to him. This year, Joe was granted a new sentence, where a federal judge shortened it by just one year, meaning he'll be released in 2041 at the age of 77, if he makes it that far. Which I really hope he doesn't, because Joe Exotic was also convicted of killing five tigers, selling tiger cubs, and falsifying records. I don't understand how this man has so many supportive fans. Did they not watch the part in the documentary where he was abusing animals? <laughs> that's wild. Alright, that's all. Thank you all for listening, and make sure to tune in next Tuesday for another episode. Again, thank you for listening, and goodbye.